Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Good evening and welcome to the History of Alchemy podcast. I'm Travis Dow. And I'm Pete Coleman from the Bohemian podcast. Today we're going to talk about Baro or Baru or Bagueros, who was a 17th century writer of alchemy. And he's known for his aphorismi or bigarani, which is like the, the aphorisms of or bigaros. And that was published around 1690, which is pretty late for, you know, it's a little after the golden age of alchemy. This collection of 100 aphorisms claims to set out completely the theory of the alchemical work which is, you know, the preparation of the Philosopher's Stone. And there's a shorter collection of 31 aphorisms contained in it, and it's known as the Circulatum Minus Urbi Geranum. And it's, I, I found it really difficult to find much of anything about his life. So we'll mostly talk about what I've noted from his writings. So, and as you mentioned, Travis, uh, this was a little bit towards the end or just a little after the Golden Age of Alchemy. So if anyone would have uh, a chance to summarize um, all this uh, alchemical knowledge, as he claims to do, he would be the uh, he'd be in the right time period in this in this respect. Uh, another thing is that he dropped the A L in alchemy and just said uh, chemistry, which we're kind of familiar with with the Y. Uh, not the first. I just wanted to make a point that uh, that chemistry is in the case specifically talking about the making of the philosopher's stone. Yeah, so it's kind of an in between the the alchemy and the chemistry. So it still has a kind of different spelling, but the word chemistry is already there, but yeah, he's specifically talking about alchemy. Now, he also talks about the language of alchemy as in the universal elixir, Diana's tears, and the three elements. Uh, I also wanted to point out that the, the alchemists were alive and well in this so-called scientific revolution that he still refers to in this process as hermetic philosophy. Yeah. Um, on, on the other hand, I mean, his recipe seems to have a few fewer metaphors and with some understanding of the vocabulary, uh, the, the direction seems to be more precise and he gives clear signs along the way that you failed in your experiment. I think that's, that's something important to note. So as, as you're going through the recipe, he'll say, okay, if this happens, you've made a mistake, start over. Or if you see this, then stop. Um, that might just be an impression that I got from this, knowing of the, the time when it was written. But, but I would argue that it, there's still a lot of that colorful language, but it seems to be more precise, and at least he, he claims to have it like a very open recipe without too much hidden meaning. So, but we'll let you be the judge of this this time. Since we don't know much about his life, we'll go into his works a little bit more in depth. And inside the cover of his 100 aphorisms, there's a picture, and it's basically a few people standing around a tree. It almost looks like a comic book panel, because you have these, not quite speech bubbles, but it's like those tapes of of words, you know, kind of like you, you you see angels holding up or something. So it's like a comic yeah, more, strip, more like ribbons, I guess. It's, exactly, it's like ribbons. You've yeah. seen a lot of this when when monks were actually but, doing uh, graphics when the when they were yeah. doing the Bible, and they, they're coming out of somebody's mouth. Right. And so it's a uh, kind of uh, early modern comic, if you will, and, and I will in this case. Is it about a guy named Sphinxy? 
So now he says his book can't be understood by the uninitiated. So it is still clearly an esoteric tradition here. And since Urbigeros is in a good position at the tail end of this alchemic golden age to wrap up all alchemical knowledge to date, we'll read you his description of his figure. And Urbigeros says that by making the figure of the tree clear, it should be easy to understand his aphorism. So it's kind of like a cipher. Like by, by um, explicitly describing the picture, he's basically giving you the cipher of the alchemical code. That's, that's what he says leading up to this. So here's what he says about the picture. We haven't really gone over many alchemical writings in themselves before. So, again, this, is, this should be a very, a, a very clear and open, kind of straightforward description of, of the alchemical process. Because, again, this is after the, the Golden Age. So we'll let you be the judge of just how, how clear this language is. So he's describing the picture, okay? And here's what he says. And, and uh, there's, there's a pretty long quote here. I'll, just, I'll read you the whole thing. He and, says, and, and this is the picture of the tree. Yeah, okay. tree, pe- people standing around it, like okay. like three people. Somewhere, it, it's kind of reminiscent of the Garden of Eden because it's like it's like Adam and Eve, and there's kind of a dark figure in the back there. Um, but his description is of this. So, the tree is a supporter of the motto "Virtus unita fortior," which, being to be read from the side of the serpent, representing by the half moon on its head the planet under whose influence it is born, is to be referred. To it according to its particular motto, which signifies that if you take a loan, it can do little or nothing in our art as wanting the assistance of others. By the green dragon is to be understood our first undetermined matter, comprehending all our principles, as is demonstrated by the half moon on its head, the sun in its body, and the cross in its tail. And denoting by its motto that it can perform the whole work without being joined with any other created or artificially prepared thing, which is our first way. But this, our dragon, when copulating with our serpent, is forced to comply with her, degrading itself from its undetermined being for the production of our second way. Apollo, with the sun on its head, and Diana, with the half moon, embracing each other, show our third way and the continuation of our first and second. The river into which they descend signifies the state they must be reduced into before they can be in a capacity of being born again. And therefore, in any of our three ways, they can be brought to a perfect spiritualization and union. Apollo and Diana, coming out of the river in one wonderful body, Diana having obtained all, represent our Herculean works, ready, finished, and the beginning of their conjunction, And by their going to set their foot on firm ground, where she is to sow the noble fruit for the procreation, is to be understood the continuation of their conjunction, till they are fully united and perfected. In this scheme also, as well as in our aphorisms, are mystically exhibited all the principal points of faith and religion comprised in the volumes of the Old and New Testament whence it manifestly appears that the contemplation of nature truly leads to the comprehension of those heavenly verities by which alone we can expect to arrive at the enjoyment of that blessed immortality, to which, as to the true and ultimate end of our creation, all our endeavors are to be directed. So, um, that's an end quote there. I would say that was clear as day, right? Well, yeah. I, I think Easy the, as making chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> the two things that I take away from this, Travis, are, is the fact that he's making that symbolism uh, in comparison to human copulation uh, and the idea of, of, uh, of 
ha having children uh, in, in this idea of, of merging, what was it, Diana and Hercules, right? Diana and Apollo. Yeah, so you're – Emerging Diana and Apollo. Exactly. And yeah, and those all mean specific things, which, yeah, you're basically – you're joining two minerals together and creating a, a, a compound. So it could be mercury and sulfur. There's something interesting with this that it really kind of strikes me, Travis. When you, when you talk about this as a symbolism, um, when, when two different – when a man and a woman come together and they, they have a child, they bring two – uh, two ge genetic uh, um, differences with them to combine in the child. Now, some just like you would maybe see in, in alchemy, um, that you're you're bringing the the perfections and imperfections together to blend into into a new substance. Maybe there's maybe there's some symbolism within that if you keep looking even deeper uh, between DNA between yeah. humans and the alchemical process. So, yeah, I mean there, there's some clear clues here, and um, we could go through symbol by symbol and explain them all. In fact, that is going to happen in a, in a different show, um, and many, many more than these, but but um, the green dragon, for instance, is a really common symbol. Um, male and female, whether, in this case, it's Apollo and Diana, but and the sun and moon, so the sun is gold, the moon is silver, and you're combining these, um, so they say going into the river and out of the river, for instance, so... Um, and they even say, he even says words like conjunction, which is a, an alchemical term. It's like one of the, the seven steps. Yeah, so it actually, if you already know the meaning of the language, this is actually really spelling it out pretty clearly. Um, but it's still definitely not up to chemical standards where you're naming elements or you're naming chemical compounds and then, and, you know, giving specific examples like, you know, heat it for this much time under this much temperature and, you know, add this in this way. No, it's it's much more vague than that. Again, this picture was a cipher to understanding the rest of the book. So, and and r the rest of the book, the impression I got is that it is more clear than other alchemical writings I've written. So it does really clearly give steps. Still, it's all in this language. It's all like, you know, Diana's tears and, and the half moon above her head and that kind of thing. But, um, like I said, it does tell you where you've gone wrong. It It shows some signs of being able to reproduce the process. So with this recipe, you can probably come to the same result every time. But Rubigeros was a believer that if God was against you, you wouldn't be able to create this this recipe, which is... And, and, and I want to make a point of that, too, in, in this deal. We're talking about the late uh, 1600s, uh, when people were still being burned at the stake here in, in Europe for heresy, uh, that he made it, his homage, his little tip of the cap in the statement... Uh, to the church as well when he had, you know, I'll paraphrase this, uh, the principal points of all faith and religion comprised in the volumes of the Old New Testament. Um, I, Still in the same text as Apollo and Diana. Exactly. And, sure. and so he's mixing these things together. So like I say, he's doing a little tip of the cap to make sure that if anybody's reading into this, that they know that he's still on the side of, of the, the powerful church at the time. So uh, that he may not be branded a heretic. So I, I think you know, we, we go through one alchemist in these time periods to another, and we kind of see the common thread. If they survive long enough to make uh, their works uh, to a point where they're written down or passed along, um, it was mainly because they didn't get on the wrong side of the church, uh, because they probably would have been their works would have been destroyed and maybe they would have been uh, burned alive. So you you, know, you never know. Uh, but the, I think that when you start reading into these things, you pick this apart a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. If you do want to hear a rundown of one of the recipes, including the symbols for each of the stages, we've done a show on that where um, we actually made gold in my kitchen with with a guest who was my father. Uh, he's, and we, he's a chemist. So and we also talked about the green dragon. Exactly. Yeah. So all yeah. the all these symbols 
um, and many, many more were already mentioned. And we will do a show just on symbolism in in a future podcast. And and um, I already have most of that outline written. So it's just there's a lot of alchemical symbols. And also on related news, there's I I wrote a little short introduction to alchemy. It's available on. Uh, Amazon as either an ebook or you can also get a paperback version. Which it's for, called the Alchemy Booklet. Yep, the Alchemy Booklet. So just just look for that on Amazon, and it's short. It's like twenty pages. It's it's I, I think it goes for ninety nine cents on Amazon dot com, and it's basically just the idea I had instead of adding a donate button to the site. So if you want to help out with server costs and kind of keep this show going, um, I think it's worth it. I think it's well. I think you get something in return too. So I mean, you can also get it in print, right? You can have it. Yeah, sent you to can. You? Yep, okay. you can get it on paperback. It's it's a couple dollars more, I think. But um, yeah, it's it, it is a really basic introduction. So most of our listeners, if you take the whole show, you'll definitely know a lot more than what's in the book. But in as short a way as possible, I wanted to break down kind of all different aspects of alchemy without giving too many specifics. So it's it's the shortest possible introduction I could probably write where people actually get what alchemy was. All right, so thank you very much for listening. Thanks, take care. You've been listening to the History of Alchemy podcast with Travis Dow and Pete Coleman. For more information about this episode, other episodes, and other information about alchemy, alchemists, and related subjects, visit historyofalchemy.com. Find us on iTunes, subscribe, review, and don't forget to rate us. We'd love to hear from you. Send your comments, ideas, and corrections to podcast at historyofalchemy.com or get in touch via Facebook on the History of Alchemy podcast page or Twitter at Alchemy Podcast. Tune in to our sister podcast all about the Czech Republic, Bohemican, which is also available on iTunes or on bohemican.com. Until next time on the History of Alchemy podcast, thank you for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.